Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. Chase Parham joins for a little bit of a Peach Bowl reaction show coming at you live on New Year's Day. Filling in for Weldon Rodenberg, who, uh, as you'll hear in a second, left his computer uh, over Christmas break in uh, Fairhope, Alabama. So Chase stepping in. We talked about the Sugar Bowl, re- or excuse me, Peach Bowl reaction, what it means for Ole Miss going forward, the unprecedented momentum they have going into 2024. Uh, Jackson Dart announced he was coming back as we were recording. So everything about what Ole Miss did on Saturday, what they accomplished, and what they have going into really the most anticipated Ole Miss football season of my lifetime – Plus a little basketball talk as well. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get to that, though, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry-low call wait time. Seaspire provides 1 gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today to use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this podcast, you get one month of free service when signing up for Seaspire. Check them out, Seaspire, customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Look, I tried to tell you guys if you didn't sign up for Skybox at the beginning of the college basketball season when they put out their model, that is uh, on you because the last two weeks, Skybox clients are up 50 plus units total. They're up 22.4 units in the last week in college basketball. They rake it in every year. If you like college basketball and making money, which I don't know why you wouldn't like both of those things, you need to sign up for skyboxsportspicks.com. Go online, skyboxsportspicks.com. Sign up for a picks package that'll fit your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. Hell, at this rate, if you're not signing up for the year-long all-access pass, I don't know what to tell you. You're just neglecting yourselves. Profit. Check them out today. you got NFL playoffs coming up. you got the end of the regular season. You've got college hoops that they absolutely mop up in every single year, just getting into full swing. It is a tremendous time to try Skybox Sports Picks. Don't be the guy paying the man every Monday trying to figure out where the money's coming from. Have him pay you and uh, get a little extra Christmas money in your pocket. Check them out today. They're absolutely crushing it. Again, 22.4 units just last week. How does that sound to you? Sounds pretty awesome to me. Check them out. Skybox Sports Picks. Com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meats. Right now, if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. If it's a $40 valuation, you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better. People will be like, where the hell did you get this awesome stuff? Like LB's University Avenue in Oxford. It is a crown jewel of the South, a crown jewel of Oxford. Check them out today. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Okay, here's Chase. 
All right, we now welcome on Rebel Grove's Chase Parham, filling in for Weldon Rodenberg, who left his computer in Fairhope, Alabama, over the holidays. So uh, it was no bueno for Weldon. Chase stepping in. I know we spoke Saturday, but we're sitting about 48 hours removed from the Egg Bowl, uh, recording here on a Monday morning, New Year's Day. I just now made it back through like the post-game press conferences and all of that. I know you were having a little bit better vantage point, at least been watching all that, hosting the show Saturday. What are you, like 48 hours removed, what do you kind of just make of this whole thing and what happened on Saturday and the momentum going into 2024? You know, I don't know that it's different really than than the story was on Saturday, but I think it's more of a, a sinking in effect. You know, I was, I, I do a story every day on New Year's, or every year on New Year's Day, and I do 10 dates that have the potential to shape the kind of the trajectory of Ole Miss athletics. And I, I try to be somewhat versatile with the list. A lot of times I'll put a women's basketball thing or if there's an Olympic sport or something, I'll try to throw in the list. And I was going through them this time, and what I noticed the most was that everything was football except for a couple basketball things. Like, And I threw, I threw one, one baseball note in there. But the trajectory of this program more than ever before – because of the success of football and basketball, but mainly football, that goes to your question, is dictating everything moving forward for 2024. You know, it's it's not answering your question, but it is answering your question. What I find fascinating a little bit, and I was talking to Neil about this yesterday when he was driving back from Atlanta, is that for years, Ole Miss needed baseball in the spring. They needed something to win at, to move the calendar, to get into the summer, to do all those kind of things. They don't need that right now. Now, that's look, I'm not saying it's not going to be important. I'm not saying that people aren't going to get really pissed off if they don't win and get back to the postseason. But in general, this football team, the momentum that's going on with this football program, with the collective, with the athletic department, with Keith's decisions, with Boyce's leadership, with all that stuff, it's this catapulting effect that's going to send us till September when football games start again. So, you know, nine of the 10 spots on my list had to do with football or men's basketball. And I even forced one of the basketball notes a little bit in that. Um, I just think it's fairly remarkable what, what they have done and where they've gotten to as a program that, you know, I, I look at Twitter, I look at social media, because one of the negatives to starting the show as fast as I do after the games is that I don't have a good chance to sort of examine the landscape, see what everybody else is saying, see what's popping up. And I, I can't do that in real time as well. And what I noticed was it was already really starting was the number of people who were going, hey, they're going to get top five votes. It's going to be a top five team going into next season. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. It's going to be all these different things. And barring something really odd or at least unexpected from Jackson Dart in the next 48 hours, I think the momentum is just in a crazy place that maybe it's even more than I thought on Saturday when I was hosting the show. I think given the success on the defensive line and the reportal, if they pick up some offensive linemen, and frankly, I think one of those is coming very soon, as early as today or tomorrow, I think they're in shape for there's going to be a lot of talking heads out there, prognosticators, and even analysts who are really looking at the film that think Ole Miss, you know, not even necessarily is getting into the playoff, but hey, host a game. Are you a dark horse for a bye? I, I think that's what's maybe changed is I think, you know, you're going into it. Ole Miss finished 11th in the country in the regular season this year. That would have been the last spot of the playoff. I think as they beat Penn State, what they've got coming back, the momentum, I think it's the, the, the direction sort of moves toward the offseason and towards September. You're going to have a lot more talk about, hey, can they grab a top four? Can they grab a top seven, a top eight? Like almost being one of those teams that's expected to be there and not just be there, but maybe be one of the one of the games that's inside Baldwin Way Stadium there on that first weekend. I think December 20th, 
December 20th is the first game, and then three games are on December 21st. Okay. So the weird part about these bowl games is you talk about like the significance and what it matters and doesn't matter. Ole Miss still should have garnered every bit of that type of momentum heading into next year you're referring to, even if they had lost, you know, 30 to 10 on Saturday. But as this whole thing goes, that wouldn't have been the case. Like, I, I just wouldn't. I don't think we would have talked about it the same, rightfully, wrongfully. They still have the same players coming next year. They still have the same players coming back. They're still going to be a much better football team. They were still a team that won 10 games this year. But there was something about just, like, almost this intangible like – it's hard to explain tangibly, but the exclamation point on it by not only beating Penn State, but really dismantling them in the second half. Kevin made that point in his post-game press conference where he's like, you know, to win and to come out and have a third quarter like that and really – he didn't say put the game away, but really put your stamp on the game or something to that effect, because they had a bunch of games that they won on the last play. They didn't really blow any quality opponents out of the water. LSU was close to the end. Arkansas was close to the end. Texas A&M was close to the end. State led in the second half. They didn't really have that game where they really just leaned on the opponent and blew them out of the building in the second half of a game. And it came, it, ha- it finally happened in the season's last game against arguably the third best opponent on their schedule. And I think that played a big part of it too. Not just that they won, but how they won. And the fact that that game was really over midway through the third quarter. Um, There's a couple ways to look at it. Number one. Yes. Look, do we overemphasize bowl wins? Yes. Look, we do. There's no doubt about that, but there are games that are played. It was the only game on, on in college football, national television at the time. Cause I'm not counting Maryland, Auburn that kicked off whatever time that kicked off. And it was against not just a big team, not just a team that was ranked in the top 10, but a team from the Big Ten. And I think that's relevant here because when you're talking about a national scope of trying to get respect, you've got basically two pockets of the country that really are geographically driven to vote for teams in those areas, Big Ten and SEC. Well, SEC teams, obviously, are going to put Ole Miss pie. They Ole Miss has won the third most SEC games over the last three years, all those different things. But the way Ole Miss dominated Penn State, and there's a video, and I don't I don't know the reporters who did it. I think it was one of the actual newspapers covering Penn State. But they had a post-game uh, little instant analysis thing, and they were pointing out Ole Miss's success at wide receiver, their athleticism, Lane Kiffin's play call, like all the ways that just Ole Miss as a program and as an offense was better than the Big Ten opponents that Penn State had faced this season. And there was like a level of respect that came in that. And I think that's important for Ole Miss in this pecking order thing and looking for what a what, look, it's still a popularity contest you go into next season. You're still needing to get voted in compared to other teams. And I think earning Big Ten respect was something that Ole Miss got out of Saturday that maybe we didn't talk about immediately, but that's going to kind of linger in some minds for that area of the country that's, you know, kind of provincial in a way that that the SEC is as well. So I think that plays into it. I think you can get that. And then it's also, like we said on Saturday, what bowl efforts do is they change perception to win tiebreakers going into a season. And Ole Miss had the ultimate tiebreaker win. So when you're doing these preseason rankings and where things are going into the season, Ole Miss is going to be ranked ahead of Penn State, be ranked ahead of Missouri, because in theory, Penn State was much more locked in and in a better shape with their starting quarterback than Ohio State was playing a third-string quarterback once that kid got hurt and stuck his cleat in the ground. So there's these perception things that kick off. And, again, we can say they don't matter, but they really do. It's, it's a, again, another continuation of Saturday, is that if you start sixth, your odds of finishing 9-3 and three and making the playoff are still possible. If you start 16th and go 9-3, and three, not a shot in hell. It's just the way it works. It's pole mechanics. 
Which is silly, but very true, right? And because yeah, I mean, it's it, dumb. And they it's try to they, they try to hide they they try to like couch that in the fact that they don't have a poll until October or whatever, but it yeah, still whatever. goes off of those reasons. It doesn't matter at all. You're exactly right. That that is what a huge difference maker on Saturday. And you mentioned the James Franklin part of it and the criticism that he drew after the game. I didn't watch his press conference. I didn't really have time before we started recording, but apparently he was a little whiny in that. Uh, he is kind of a whiner. I didn't realize the record against ranked opponents was as bad as it was. And I heard I listened to the post game show on the way home from Atlanta, which is actually the first time I've done that. I've never really been in the car. Um, also, don't like listening oh. to shows with my own voice; just freaks me out. But I did listen to the entirety of the post game show, and you and Jeffrey in particular were talking about how bad Drew Ayler was, and he was. I he, I mean, there were multiple throws, particularly one early on in the game where he just sailed it over the tight end in the middle of the field, and I was like, I think I could have thrown that, and I've had two beers at this point, but. That being said, I didn't realize how just truly bad their wide receiver situation was. And so when it comes to like the schematics of the game, I don't know if he's that bad or they are just really, really poor and he has no one to throw the football to. I really kind of struggle with that after the fact. It's where I completely was wrong at first and had to change my opinion. And I think I did on the podcast was I was like, no, if they have Jackson Dart, they're in the playoff. And it's like, no, they need Trey Harris and Jordan Watkins, too. I had that exact thought when y'all said that. And I was like, okay, I get what they're saying in theory, but I was like, then I thought about it for a second. I was like, I don't know, man. Jackson Dart, I'm not sure he could could make some of those guys look confident. I just didn't truly appreciate how bad they were. And if you're a guy like Franklin and you can win 10 games in the Big Ten – a hell of a lot easier than you can in the SEC. It's very interesting to me, like the reaction from him, like about him after this game, because, you know, 10 and two in the SEC, you're never getting criticized no matter where you are, except for Alabama and Georgia, but it doesn't feel the same there. And that was a very lethargic performance for him and Penn state. Penn state is in no man's land because there's nothing about that roster that says, Hey, they're about to go beat Ohio state and, and Michigan every year. There's nothing about that. Frankly, they're, you know, look, they, I know they were down coordinators, but their schematics were terrible on the offensive side of the ball for the most part on Saturday. And they're getting all this. They're in this weird spot where I don't know what their ceiling is. And it's kind of where Penn State's been. I mean, James Franklin, you look at his record, he's won a lot of football games. I mean, he's done this kind of every year, except for he had one lag, you know, one, one lag in a year a few years ago. And I don't know which year it was, but I looked up his win loss and he had struggled one season. But no, they're in purgatory because as different than the SEC number three, which Ole Miss showed you today. I mean, if Ole, if there was a playoff on a neutral site, Ole Miss could go beat somebody. There's no doubt about that. They could go outscore somebody. They could be athletic. They could do some things. They could win that game. I mean, Ole Miss would, would have a chance to beat Oregon or somebody. Um, Penn State is in a weird spot where they are not as athletic and SEC-like as Ohio State because Ohio State is an SEC team when they're at full strength. That's how they're built. And they're a poor man's version of Michigan because they're not as physical. They're not as good. And frankly, their quarterback doesn't make the game manager throws the same way that J.J. McCarthy does for Michigan. So they're a bad version of the two teams they're competing against. They're completely in a spot where they have to beat one of those two teams to fulfill expectations. And now I wonder about it. And look, maybe I'm overdoing the bowl thing a little bit. But I wonder when they get into the playoffs, it's like that 11 seed. Are you really worried about Penn State going to Athens and beating Georgia or going to Tuscaloosa and beating Alabama or going to even Tallahassee and beating Florida State in a a deal where they're full strength or Texas? You're just not. It just doesn't look like they offensively have the right capabilities and they're not so built on the function of a power football team offensively to get it done that way either. Because look, let's be let's be honest. The only two programs that are three programs that can lean on you and potentially win those games, Alabama, Georgia, and Michigan, where they just run the physical style of football, and by God, they do it. 
And frankly, Michigan hasn't shown they can do it. That's a huge game for them today. Again, we're recording here at 1055 on New Year's Day. They haven't played their game yet. But it's why it's why Michigan is in such a weird spot mentally against Alabama today because they have not won a playoff game yet. They, they're getting close. trucked in those kind of games. Do what? They have, that's what I was going next. They haven't really come yeah. close. They got destroyed by no, Georgia, no, no. and they lost to arguably maybe the weakest team in the playoff era last year. Yeah, I mean, look, Ryan Day has a Jim Harbaugh problem, but Michigan has a problem against elite teams that they, they can't just bully around physically. And that's my point with Penn State is they just didn't feel like a threat to go win things in the postseason, and it's just it's, it's just a different deal. I, I think they're, depending on what their quarterback play is next year, they're in a weird spot, and look, the Big Ten teams a lot of times are a little slower to adapt to the portal. You know, I, I thought that was a key all week. I think you and I talked about it was – there's such a contrast on how they're building their programs. And Penn State's never going to do what Ole Miss is doing. I, I get that they're a complete 180s. But they almost were sort of negative about the portal. It was almost like this, no, we develop. Like, we don't need the portal, blah, 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 blah. They and sound as 25 high you, school that, kids that, in the early period. 25. That's what I mean. That that, that just gets your ass kicked at this at yep. this level. Like, when you get to that point. That, that, that's not – that is just simply being traditional to be traditional. You've got to mix it up. You've got to do a little of both. And – I, it felt like there was a certain stubbornness to them that probably doesn't sit well moving forward. So I, I don't, I don't know. I Penn State's going to win a lot of games, but when you look at their schedule and who did they actually beat, their best win was Iowa. They dominated Iowa, but their best win was against a team that finished 130th nationally in scoring offense. Ooh, how many teams are? I mean, <laughs> how many FBS teams do we have? No, that's got to be dead last, right? One, one thirty-three. Okay, so they did beat three programs, which is yes. good for them, I guess. For Ole Miss, though, the reaction and everything, I think one of the things I looked back yesterday as I was just like rotting on the couch, scrolling through social media and whatnot, was, damn, there are a lot of people there. Um, you were had the stream up and, and people interacting with you throughout the postgame show and all that. Just, I mean, this is a very obvious question, but like fan reaction, the scope of it and the amount of people that were at that game and the amount of people that seem kind of invested in this thing now feels – 2014 2015 ish as far as like overall buy-in it does and i think you know it was really the difference in the two fan bases and i don't know if Ole miss would ever get to the penn state level as in i think Ole miss fans would just stay a little more crunk and excited in a good way i don't mean like they can't get there as in a, in a bad way but it was a fairly even crowd as you mentioned you know Ole miss 53 47 54 46 somewhere in there but pretty close to 50 50 and the Penn State fans, to the best of my knowledge, from talking to so many people, almost sort of just had it on the calendar and showed up and thought this is kind of what we do and it's cool, but it's not like we're losing our minds here and it's uh, we support our team and it's all good. And Ole Miss is still kind of in that perfect phase where they're still sort of the, hey, we get a trip out of this, this is awesome, let's go run it down. But it's also... Now, hey, go win the game. Go get the hardware. Do the thing. It's not just about the arrival anymore from a fan base standpoint. And I think that's one of the positives that, you know, we talk about the positives and negatives, and we don't know what the long-term ramifications are going to be, but it's one of the positives to the NIL era and the Grove Collective and the way that there's all the buy-in when we keep saying over and over and over again how everybody's moving in the one direction. I think it's put skin in the game where – it's helped alleviate from that, hey, we just win the party crap with Ole Miss. I think it's actually created more of an environment to be about the win and the game and the exposure that comes from that. And I think that only happened in some ways with, you know, obviously the success, don't get me wrong, that always happens with success. But when it looks like so many people 
had a part in it to some degree and they feel like it's a foundational thing that they really push for. It's why Lane's really astute with his comment. He's made it two or three times now when he says that he thinks Ole Miss in some ways has become the Green Bay Packers or college football. It does feel like a fan-owned business in a way with Ole Miss right now, and I mean that in the best possible light. No, we talked about that Saturday, too. I mean, I use the example of the kid in front of me at the Grove Collective hat. Like, I'm assuming if he's yeah. got a hat, he probably donates amount a month. But, yeah, like, yeah. literally, you're seeing your your hard-earned money being put on the field and and, and getting a satisfactory product. That that line of that that line of money to the field is as direct as it ever is. And I think the Green Bay Packers is an interesting example. And Ole Miss is just I hate using the word revolutionary, but they really kind of are with all of this. I mean, there was a Grove Collective party that was well advertised at some point in Atlanta. I didn't go, but it looked like it was very well attended. It was very it was packed. I was told at basketball yesterday. Yes. It, it looked incredibly packed. There's Grove Collective gear. They, as I told, listed on Saturday night, they did a great job with the logo. There's people wearing it. It's become a part of the brand. I, Penn State has a collective. I had to look this up. They have one that they merged back in the uh, summer of a – it's called the Happy Valley United Collective. Well, they're still not doing it correctly because the first thing on their website that pops up is make a tax-deductible donation. I thought we already covered this. I think the uh, IRS already actually blew that up um, appears a day after these merged. So – Hold on a minute. It, it literally – hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, stop. It literally says on there make a tax-deductible donation? Click on the Happy Valley Collective, United Collective after your Google search. And the first thing that pops up is make a tax deductible donation today. I don't know if that's not been That updated. is incredibly illegal in today's tax code. Well, then I guess I just narked on them live on this show. Maybe it's just not yeah. updated, but the, the point is it's it's not it's not as visible. It's not on the forefront. It's not as public. I mean, I asked the Penn State writer I had on about that, and he just kind of gave a vague answer about, like, yeah, they're competitive NIL. It's like, well, that's something you said in October of 21, pal. The ship has sailed at that point. Like, what is the collective? What are you doing with it? It just doesn't feel as visible where this whole collective NIL part of it, you mentioned fans having a skin in the game, the Green Bay Packers part of it. That feels like every bit of a part is Ole Miss's brand as anything else that's publicly facing. I guess it's that. I guess it's that, and it's why I kept harping on it from a Penn State standpoint. Is that what Ole Miss is doing with a fairly small fan base relative to national powers and big schools and big state schools is remarkable because everybody it take it, it takes everybody. You have to be very efficient. You have to do all those things. Penn State is in football country. Pennsylvania is a hell of a state for for high school football for college football. It's really the only true campus experience in that state because Pitt's kind of a commuter school. You got all those Philadelphia schools that are not anywhere near the same thing from a football environment standpoint. Like, I'm just now clicking on this. Penn State's alumni page, and I think it's well over this, but they list on their masthead with well over 750,000 living alumni. And Good I think it's a little Lord. over 800,000. Think about that. The fact that you're not pushing like hell for NIL, for buy-in, for all those different things, you either have a problem where you can't get your message to the fan base in a way that they buy in and think it matters, or you're simply just not trying because at some point, it's almost like a damn army. Like, you, size does matter on just simply the number of bodies and people and people participating, and it's what's been remarkable about what, about what Ole Miss does, and frankly, it speaks to the abject failure of philosophy that Penn State has right now. Google says Ole Miss's in total enrollment right now is 23,780. Penn State's is almost 89,000. It's 88 and some change. Yes. That's so that's my of, point. That's four times per year in theory exp exponentially over a lifespan. That's pretty wild like, to think about. I mean, it's 
it's yeah, and you mentioned that that's kind of why they're in football purgatory. I mean, they signed twenty five high school kids. I mean, I guess Ole Miss has up- Ole Miss is an Ole Miss alumni association page says that uh, there are more than one hundred and thirty thousand alumni worldwide. So that would be almost seven times more. I mean, five times more. Five yeah, times, five more, six yeah. times more. Yeah. Wow, that's a that's a wild way to think about it. And I guess to wrap up that part of it, like they, when you talk about them being in football purgatory and Franklin needed to change all that, wouldn't they? Wouldn't you start by going to portal a quarterback? Can you go get one? One hundred percent. I don't know where you're going with him. No, get me wrong. You need receivers too, which is how we started this. But I don't know look, where... even the Penn State fans goes, "Hey, just play the backup next year." And it's like maybe so. He looked okay on like the three snaps that I saw him. He looked better than than Aller for sure. But why is hold on a minute? Why are those your only two options? Like, no, go go. You're Penn State. Go take someone's quarterback, like Florida State did. The the Rodemaker yes. kid played fine in the Florida game. He gets hurt, and they're they clearly they didn't want to roll with him next year because he entered the portal and they were in the Cam Ward sweepstakes. And now it looks like they may get DJ. I don't really know. But you're right. It's kind of a difference in I mean, mindset. Notoriety so in college football matters. Like brand matters. Players listen to brand. Like at some point, if you're Penn State. Why are you not like not to be vulgar, but like why are you not kind of throwing them up on the table and going, no, we're just going to go take your dude, yeah. like find a way to make that happen? It it boggles my mind. Like I, I I really don't get it. I mean, I mean Syracuse went and got Kyle McCord, and now look, I don't think he's very good, but they went and got Ohio State's quarterback. And it's it, we talked about adapt or die. That's like for pit programs like Penn State, and I'm not calling the for the fact that they're going to fall off or not become relevant, but it's going to be interesting to see kind of like the minutia of the changes in the pecking order based on this adaptability and all that. And I guess to spin it back to an old Miss piece of it, Lane was on one in his post-game press conference. He got asked a variety of different questions about like what they've accomplished and what they're going. Did he seem different at all to you? Because he mentioned like, he mentioned a couple of times, I feel like we're just getting started here. I don't, other than that 2020 Alabama game where he was kind of, not criticizing the fans, but saying, I appreciate it, but please don't clap after we lose a game. Like, we didn't come here to do this. We came here to build into a program that can win these type of games. I haven't really heard him talk about the future like that and saying we're just getting started. Maybe I missed something through the years, but the last couple of seasons have been so kind of weird after the fact, whether it's losing a New Year's Six game or the whole Auburn and all that last year. I just feel like I haven't heard him talk about that in a way that seemed very genuine, and I thought that's exactly what happened on Saturday afternoon. No, this dude is completely locked in for 2024. I don't know if, you know, I, I hate to put a step on it beyond that as far as like, oh, future and all statues. But in the immediacy of next season, I, he's never been more locked in in any way because there's several things here. And he's really been doing it all week. He's been some version of this ever since the press conference when they got to Atlanta on the 26th. Because even in that press conference, he was asked about the extension to his contract. And all it was was a base rollover that just goes on every single year because of the way the Mississippi stuff stuff works in the in the years. He admitted there's zero financial change. There's no other than what was already in the contract. His salary does in, increase a little bit year over year, just simply in the contract. But then he goes on to talk about being thankful for Ole Miss and really appreciating the leadership and the buy-in. And I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, but. I know I, t- I read the quote to Neil right after that because he was driving and he was like, I mean, from from Lane, that was like the biggest down on knees thank you ever. You know what I mean? Like that's a yes. completely change in, in what you typically get for him from him. And it was. So he showed a gratitude toward the university at that point, toward all the people that have bought in in all the different ways. And then 
his messaging right after the game was, hey, we need more portal guys, come join. This is another step, all that kind of stuff that you're alluding to. But even past that, I mean, his Twitter has been on fire the last couple of days from a promotion standpoint. And I mean that in a way that he's just in a good mood. Like he's playful, but it's not, you know, sometimes Lane can come off snarky, but it, whether it is or isn't, it looks almost a little insecure. Yes. You know, kind of like the Texas A&M stuff where it's like, hey, are you are you complaining that you couldn't do that or you're making fun of them because they're on a different level? This is simply about right now. I mean, today, this morning, we're 48 hours after the uh, the game. And look, it's significant. He goes to the basketball game yesterday. Lane doesn't like attention like that. He goes to the court, sits on the court, lets them put him on the video board and all that stuff like he has that deal at the game. He tweets out the ticket and his socks and throwing the clipboard and all that stuff while he's there. And this morning he retweets an old Miss, or sorry, an ESPN article that says 11 win Ole Miss just getting started. He uh, tweet, he's flying out. So he's probably leaving to now to go on vacation for a couple of days, but whatever, that's fine. Uh, tweets out something about Oxford high school over it. Retweets a couple players, puts out a couple more pictures. And then uh, this morning, very, very first thing, I think it was this morning. Yeah, pretty sure. Good morning and happy new year. It's going to be the best one yet. Ole Miss football hashtag just getting started with a picture of Vaughn Hemingway. We'll get back to Chase in just one second. But before we do, I want to take one more quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, is, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. Back to Chase. This feels like the first time he's very excited and thinks he can do something historic that he's never done before entering a season. Uh, Which that that one hundred percent. That's what it means. It means that he likes his roster, not just to a level of meeting Ole Miss expectations, but meeting national implications for expectations. Yes, because in the past when he's gotten asked questions like this, and I get it, it's a little bit different in call camp, but you'd ask like schedule. If you looked at the schedule next year, stuff like that. I'm not saying he would answer it any differently now, but it's. 
man, I'm just trying to get through this week or trying to get through this practice and all of that. And now he's allowing yeah. him to look at itself, look down the long-term a little bit, because I do think he's excited about next year. And we made several jokes about the dudes coming back. And I mean, hell, he was recruiting in the press conference. He said today might've been a message to the few pieces we need out there, like join yeah. and join now. And, you know, he mentioned the, he's mentioned a couple of times, the attention from players across the country wanting to come to Ole Miss to join it. I think that's is is poignant of a way to describe how much the portal has become part of Ole Miss's brand that their head coach is sitting at a press conference telling you that other players from other programs want to come to this transfer portal haven, whatever the hell you want to call it. I thought the fact that he was kind of admitting that part out loud to be pretty wild. And look, that only happens for a couple of reasons. One is Lane and his staff, and, and he admitted this was a huge change, and this is probably the reason they went 11-2 and this season was that they did a much better job picking players who would buy into the process, who would stick through it, who would find roles and niches, even if they were not what they necessarily anticipated or what they had at previous schools. So you got to have the right guys come in. You're winning. People are buying into the winning. You've got to have enough returners in key spots to show the direction and the culture of the program and to lead that buy-in in those kind of different ways. And then here's one, too. And we talk about this, but not always directly, and I feel like we're, we're – we're, Prop, you know, we're saying a lot of positive things about the Grove Collective the last two weeks, but they deserve all of them, and they're all 100% true. They do contracts, and they do payments, and they do everything that they just, by God, say they're going to do. And that doesn't happen all across the country. That's not always whatever. There's always teams and programs you hear that are wanting to, hey, let's move this payment or manipulate this, or what about this, or we're going to do this, just thinking money's going to come in. They are extraordinarily well run from a structure standpoint off the contracts because of what Liston and McDonald and what their team put together. And then what Walker has been able to run on a, on a, on a negotiating and on a day-to-day level to where look portal players talk also about, Hey, where am I getting a, a professional type contract environment where I know that whatever it is I get, I'm going to get. And that's that, that, that is a firm situation. And I think Ole Miss is really benefiting from that, too. I think it starts to become almost a, an organizational effort as much as a Kiffin winning effort to get to that level. When they called it, they back in the beginning in the origin of the Grove Collective, they called it an NIL program. And one of the things that I couldn't really fit into the story, because God knows it was long enough, but I'm sitting there try, trying to fit this in. And Walker, I kept wondering why they kept calling it program. And I, I maybe I was thinking a little bit too far into it. But it's not just the fundraising aspect of it and having the pool of money to be competitive uh, Walker Jones said this, and I had no real reason to doubt him, but I actually talked to a couple of players after the fact, after the story happened, and they really kind of backed this up as well. But he he tells all of them, you know, if you're here just to collect a check, like, don't come here. He's like, this this collective is going to teach you financial literacy. This is going to teach you how to do your taxes. This is going to teach you how to manage your money and manage wealth in the future. He's like, we've had dudes come in here and we've helped them start their own businesses. There's a lot more to it. You right. They do everything they say they're going to do, but there's a hell of a lot more to it than just offering the kids a check. They actually do a seemingly a pretty damn good job of helping them along the way. So they're not just getting this lump sum of money and kind of we feel like we're yeah, he's going buck ass wild with it that like I would at 21 years old. And then you look up at 24 and you're like, where the hell did all of that go? There seems to be those guardrails in place to help these kids even after they leave Ole Miss. Well, and, and, and look, I get that technically by law, it's not necessary, but there are some real keys to like that. What is the, the, you know, the, the wheels up program with the yeah. food and the flights and all that kind of stuff they have in place. There, there's those partnerships that do allow some charitable, quid pro quo efforts 
that are helpful from a legislative and legal standpoint too. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's, it looks like it's flimsy enough to not matter, but it's just another level of protection and structure and something to it that makes it seem a little more, uh, or not seem, make, makes it be a little more legitimate as time goes on. So I, I just think that's, it's just the perfect storm. It, it, it's, it's the winning, it's finding a way to win all these one possession games this season, because I mean, look, Ole Miss is probably going to, you know, barring it, create some crazy injury luck or just one of those seasons that you're snake bit like crazy. They're going to play November games with the ability to get into the playoff, and that will be the biggest deal in Ole Miss modern football history. That comes down to that's probably in some levels only happening because, look, people give more when you're winning based off two, three, four plays during this season. That if they go the other way and this team is eight and four, seven and five, you're not having this type of momentum. You're not having this type of offseason, even though it's the exact same roster from a retention standpoint, potentially. It just is kind of incredible how small the margin is and how Ole Miss has made so much happen off the small margins. And look, as they're winning games, as you heard, if you listen to the postgame show, you said, I told Jeffrey, at some point you win close games because you, by God, win close games. And it's just what you do. And it's part of your environment and you're better in those moments than other people are like, you know, we, we, we can debate whether the clutch gene exists and maybe it doesn't the way that a lot of people do, but there is no doubt that people who can calm down, know their assignments, know their moments, slow their heart rate, seriously, all those type of things, they're going to perform better in 50, 50 type situations like that. And I do wonder if you assemble a culture that is about that type of thing that does lead to some things that wouldn't necessarily make a lot of sense just on the Pythagorean win-loss percentage standpoint. I, I think that, that that does play a role into it. So the Ole Miss is – look, I mean, I, I don't know who was on the call. Um, it was who, – who did the Orange Bowl call the other day? Do you know Florida State and Georgia? Um, no, I didn't get to watch much okay. of that game. So they're doing – you know, look, it's 66-3. to three. They have plenty of time to spend. And they pull Georgia's schedule up. And I'll, I'll do it quickly. They did, they did this on TV. And this is right after, I think, Reese Davis had said Ole Miss is going to be a top five team next season. I think he said that on game day or on one of the, the shows going on uh, Saturday, I guess after the game or before the game or whenever it was. So he had said that. Several people on Twitter had talked about that as well. And then they put Georgia's schedule up for next season on the, uh, on the screen. And... They immediately circled at Alabama, it's on September the 28th, and at Texas on October 19th. And whoever the color guy was, he came in right after that, and he goes, no, 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 forgot one. And he took it and goes, that's going to be a problem. And he circled at Ole Miss on whatever the day of the, the Oxford game was on Georgia's schedule next season. They did not, however, circle the game against Clemson in Atlanta to open the season. I didn't even think about that. I'm just saying, like, it's – it's the part, and it's why I got I started waxing poetic and getting all whatever the other day, is that we've normalized nine and three, ten and two, and look, I they're not gonna be the same. Look, Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, Texas, those are the five teams that are gonna get the most national title buzz for next season. They just are. That's what's gonna look like. Sure, okay, great. Those are traditional blue black blood powers that the media is going to do that with. But as far as an increased exposure or team that maybe gets the most headlines because they're not one of those kind of boring five that are almost there, it's Ole Miss. Ole Miss is absolutely going to be the team in the offseason and going into next season 
that has the most headlines and the most press clippings about their ability to disrupt and handle college football in 2024. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's, yeah, you're exactly right. And that's the part of it that makes going into next year so exciting. And you mentioned the clutch sheet and all of that. And it's, it's no accident that every time Ole Miss got down in the second half of an SEC game this year, they immediately went down the field and scored a touchdown. Literally every single time it happened. At a certain point, whether you want to talk about odds or you know not being able to win every close game, that's not an accident. That's a result of bringing in guys, the right type of guys like we talked about before. And Kiffin talked a little bit about that yesterday with Trey Harris and Caden Prescorn and Jared Ivey, all three guys deciding to come back, sitting there on the podium with them. He talked about he thought Saturday was important because of how much people had started talking about next year. And he mentioned even the players like that. I think he said they were calling it like the last dance or something crazy. They they seem bought into this as any team can be on January 1st or December 30th when the first game's not more than seven months away. It's why I think Neil wrote in his Twitter, he said that uh, or in the story, he wrote the column after the game that while it was a huge day, it felt more like a launch than an arrival. And it was, it was, yes, it was about, hey, last dance and all this stuff and whatever, and they get the win today. But it was simply, it was a win today to set up next season, to put it in position to be as best as it could be. And I thought, you know, even that is is, is a mind shift in a mindset shift in such a different way, because that's not typically the way that would work and the way that they, that they operated that. And now look, as I wrote today, one of the big days for the collective is going to be trying to figure out how in the hell to replenish that roster for 2025 because the number of players that are going after 2024, but Hey, that's not today's problem right now. They just got to figure this thing out for next year and maximize it. Lastly, as we kind of wrap up here, you went to the basketball game yesterday. Ole Miss is 13-0, going to interconference play undefeated. Like the, I, I never would have guessed that part of it, but I saw John Rothstein tweet talking about, you know, he's going to have a good New Year's. Keith Carter, he didn't say anything about football, but he was clearly insinuating that. I mean, the, the health of the athletic department right now because of the two hires he's made in the two most prominent sports is, is remarkable. When's the last time that football and basketball is kind of paralleled like this where they're both kind of the story of their respective sports at the same time? Has that ever been the case before? I mean, I was looking it up, and, you know, I guess the team, the basketball team went to the NCAA tournament in 2012-2013 season. Ole Miss was just got the recruiting class and was just about to start its back-to-back New Year's Six run, and then the baseball team goes to Omaha in 14. So I guess that was the best three-sport convergence, if you will, right there on top of each other. But, no, there's – there's nothing with a couple different things. Ole Miss has its best combination of three coaches in the three major sports that it's ever had in its history. They have a real argument that they have the three best coaches of any SEC school in the conference. I'm not saying they do, but you at least would have to put them in the conversation to, to, to do it because Mike Bianco has a long history. He's the third or fourth. No, he's the shit. He's the second. He's the second winningest coach in SEC history. Chris Beard is, by all basketball accounts, a top 10 national coach. And Lane Kiffin is getting more accolades and getting more comfortable and getting better by the day. I mean, that's the thing that Ole Miss has benefited so much from is that Lane's a much better coach than he was four years ago. Because yes. he's better personally, he's better professionally, he's more locked in, he's he's more willing to delegate and hire the right people. It's all those different things. So, no, I mean, it's, it's something that is starting to permeate everything. Because, yeah, I went to basketball yesterday – and look, they're winning, and Ole Miss supports winners. Everybody supports winners, and people support less when they lose. That's not an Ole Miss thing. That's a human thing. 
but the crowd yesterday for three o'clock against a team that was eight and six on New Year's Eve was damn good. Really, really good. Um, the crowd against Troy, like last Monday or Tuesday, it was like December 19th, typically a time that would be sleepy and nobody would be there. It was packed. It looked like an SEC game under Kermit there at one point. So, you know, yeah, a ton of buy-in. Beard has done a phenomenal job of raising some of his own money, some of his own donors, of getting fans engaged, of getting the culture club up and running and going. It's – I mean, John Rothstein's correct. It's a pretty damn good time to be Keith Carter right now. Uh, they, they, they've done an excellent job. Um, from a chancellor side, Boyce has kind of stayed out of the way and done what you needed the special chancellor to do from an athletics department standpoint. They've got a lot of guys in right positions. And I tell you – and I think this is critical – you know, you look at the three arms, and, and really even four, if you're talking about straight relations. You know, you've got Keith Carter, you've got Walker Jones, you've got Denson Hollis, you've got Jessica Lynch with the M Club. You've got Ole Miss people in those four positions. And you don't ever want to just hire Ole Miss people. Like, that's, you know, look, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a problem Ole Miss has made in the past. As you go, hey, just put the Ole Miss person, the person we're comfortable in there. But when you hire really competent people, which they've done in all four of those spots, when you hire really competent people and you put them in the place and you let them do their job and you let them work through things and they have skin in the game too, especially when you get into monetary sides like this, people are much more willing to donate and give and invest on something that they get results from, they believe in, they see, and they know the people that are doing it are connected to the product. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're, you're much you're, you're much more willing to potentially give your cash to somebody who, hey, not only are they doing great things with it, because look, that's what's mattering. If you're not doing great things with it, then it doesn't matter how much you love a place. But if you're doing great things with it and we know you really damn care and you're one of us, there's a certain there's a certain bit of secret sauce there that that Ole Miss is hit on by having both those things, by having proficiency and some excellence, but also having people that understand and are invested in those environments we have some breaking news here on the podcast uh jackson dart announced he's returning in a video and the first line of the video is come join us for the last dance is that going to become what this thing becomes in 2020 do you know brian do you know how excited i am that i got that story up like two hours ago because the number one thing was tomorrow in case dart had not announced that so yes, I would have that actually like, that's perfect back, like yeah because um, the portal so, opens tomorrow uh well no the portal visit the, the portal closes tomorrow yes you have to excuse yes be in by yes. tomorrow he would have to have been in by tomorrow night well i guess he's back and i guess this is going to turn in the last dance 2024 one last thing that i just thought of like uh, as we were as something you said in there and we talked about people coming back and not coming back are you surprised that there has been a zero discussion of Ole Miss staff turnover they're kind of in that weird place where they're set with their two coordinators i didn't think golding was ever going anywhere obviously had john david pager take a promotion he gets the offensive coordinator opportunity at ecu but there hasn't been a lot of you know, you and Neil haven't had to chase down potential staff turner it sounds like you know I, again i don't know everything but it sounds like that's mostly going to remain intact which seems as important as anything else too um well you know they got to replace john david baker he's the right. new offensive coordinator at east carolina but no they're they're pretty stable there because look pete he came to oxford for personal and professional reasons he's stable here right now he's building something i mean look i, I you know he spent the offseason going hey i need this thing to look more like alabama because that's what we, we have to have i mean he, he's very invested in look I, I, it's not even a I don't know how long Lane is here. Maybe Lane's here 18 more years and this is irrelevant. But 
it's not a secret Pete Golding would like to be the next head coach at Ole Miss. So, I mean, where the hell is he going right now? It makes no sense. He's, I mean, he, he, he's in a great spot for a lot of different reasons and he's doing a hell of a job. And Charlie Weiss is very comfortable under Lane. Um, they worked well together this year. Frankly, Weiss sort of, I don't know. We don't ever know the real splits on assignments, but I think Weiss has one of the worst jobs in the world in a way. Because if something world if something works, Lane Kiffin is a genius, and if it doesn't work, Weiss is an offensive coordinator idiot, and that's the the way it works, and that's the way it is under Lane Kiffin. But I do kind of laugh sometimes. I'm like, God, I mean, Weiss is in a good spot, but Jesus, it's not probably always good to be him because that's a that, that's a weird place to be if you're uh, if if you're that under Lane Kiffin. But look, I, I think we can all say if there's a spot that you're not ever worried about, it's whoever the OC is under Lane. It is a weird spot because one, he doesn't talk to media either. And so he's not really that yeah. visible. And so he's only brought up in conversation when things aren't working as the add in, like F this guy too. Like let's not, let's, let's, let's not, you know, avoid it. Like he can't avoid criticism as this as well, but obviously he's not going to get the praise when it works as well. So Ole Miss wins. They're 11 and two. It's going to be an interesting off season. I guess last thing really from a coverage standpoint, you talked about like not needing the baseball season part of it and it being different and this, off season, do you think it'll feel different from a coverage standpoint? Because hell, the basketball part of it is another thing. I, I don't feel like how how am I going to get from January first to February twentieth or whatever it is when baseball starts? That's been the issue the last couple of years. That's clearly not going to be the problem. Do you think covering this football off season? Sometimes the whole portal thing, spring practice is a drag. Do you think that will change for you guys at all this year? Because I think I'll be more inclined to write about it in February and March. Oh, no, there's a, there, I mean, Neil and I basically did a, we, we didn't really mean to do it. We just kind of had like a little impromptu meeting yesterday about all the things that would come up and probably need to accomplish. It's going to be, it is going to look like an NFL offseason, I think, of profiling players and, and bigger stories. I, I think it's for the fan that is trying to get to know the team quickly. It's going to be a, probably a pretty fun offseason for you because it changes dramatically. I mean, we're basketball will get its due. It's a hell of a story. And Chris Beard keeps winning. It's a really hell of a story baseball will follow it we always cover it well we'll do the same thing here it's not it's not getting less coverage but football is an animal and a monster that's probably gonna have to be fed pretty hard the next eight months i think you're talking about player profiles i think you're talking about state of game stuff i think you're talking about some new analytics and schematic stuff that we haven't necessarily done in the past I, yeah i think it's covered completely different where this is in all ways you listen to the fan base what they want what they're interested in and it's it's kind of all systems go until uh opening day against Furman in September, whatever that date is. Looking forward to it. Enjoy your New Year's Day. Appreciate you joining the show, and we'll uh, we'll chat soon. Sounds good, bud. Thanks. Okay, that'll do it for our show today. I appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. As always, thanks for making 2023 such an awesome year. Got some great ideas coming in 24 to hopefully continue to grow this podcast um, as we continue on forward. So I just want to say thank you. I don't really say that enough, but it was an awesome year. I'm really looking forward to 2024. Really appreciate the feedback on the podcast and interacting with uh, many of you. Saw some of you at the Peach Bowl. I really enjoyed that as well. So thank you for the support as always. This makes it a whole hell of a lot of fun. And uh, we've got the best yet to come in 24. So y'all have a safe and happy New Year's Day, first week of your year. And we will uh, talk to you here real soon.